So this morning's meditation instructions are going to be following on uh, Jill's talk from last night that was on the five hindrances. And again, a reminder of those five hindrances, the first one, sense desire, or you could just have this general sense of grasping or wanting would come under that. The second one, ill will or that broad category of aversion. The third one, sloth and torpor, or understanding that as sleepiness or sluggishness. The fourth, restlessness and worry, and then the, the fifth, skeptical doubt. And you might remember, remember that Jill gave us a variety of different approaches to these hindrances, or you could say antidotes, you know, all the way from, of course, mindfulness to loving kindness or self-compassion, to pulling your ears, to counting all those judgments in your mind in a day, or that nonsensical sentence like the sky is blue after a thought of judging, and on and on. So this morning, I want to remind you of two of these. There's, again, so many different approaches to the hindrances. One, mindfulness, and the other, uh, self-compassion. And again, just to come back to that that phrase, that phrase that Jill shared with us from the Satipatthana Sutta that gives us these instructions. So for example, if sense desire is present in a practitioner, of course with sense of desire you can replace any of the hindrances. You know, if aversion is present in a practitioner, that practitioner knows, ah, there is sense desire in me. If sense desire is not present, in a practitioner, that practitioner knows, ah, there is no sense desire in me. Can you simply know and become aware if there's a hindrance arising in your practice? And then oppositely, can you really become aware of when there's an absence of those hindrances? Where the mind is free of hindrances to savor that. So I just want to go through an example just to be super clear about how to engage in, in this. And so you're in your sitting meditation here in the hall, you're outside doing walking meditation, and wanting arises in the mind, whether it be wanting a donut or a brownie. Not that I ever have those kinds of wantings, but... <laughs> Or it could be something like uh, wanting to think, wanting to figure out that issue in your life, that difficulty in your life. And it has a kind of momentum to it where the thinking, it's so difficult, you can say thinking, but just the moment after you're back trying to figure that out in your life. Ah, wanting. And so with a lot of these, What's happening is the mind's lost in thought. And then there's that moment, right? That, that magical moment when mindfulness appears and you're aware the mind's lost in thought. And it's in that moment that I then practice what I call a little bit 
after-the-fact mindfulness. So what I mean by that is I take a moment to notice what's been going on. Oh, wanting's been going on. And I want to be clear, this turn is really important. I become curious about the wanting itself rather than what I'm wanting. It doesn't matter if it's a brownie or if it's a donut or if you're trying to figure out your life. Where we want to bring the curiosity is how does that wanting feel? What's that like in the system when there's wanting? So this turn into noticing the hindrance itself rather than what the object of that is, is a very important turn in, in your practice. And then to check it out, oh, wanting feels like this in the body. Interesting, and it does this to the mind. Oh, it makes the mind obsess. Oh, interesting, it has this quality to it. Oh, this is wanting. And then I might become sensitive to how the mind's relating to the wanting. Man, I I don't like this wanting. It's messing up my sitting meditation or walking meditation. And then we have aversion to the wanting. That's that first part of the Satipatthana Sutta. Oh, there's sense desire in me. Oh, interesting, there's wanting here. And it's really the same with all the other hindrances when we bring mindfulness to it. Being able to name it, to notice it. And this is where noting can be very helpful. Oh, wanting, not wanting. There it is, sleepiness. Interesting, that's skeptical doubt. There it is. To notice it. Not so much the content of what I'm being doubtful of, just that it's skeptical doubt that's arising. And as Jill mentioned, which I think is another interesting thing to see, is the seesaw effect of some of these hindrances. Or especially with grasping and aversion, sometimes it it feels like it's just two sides of the same coin. I really, really want that bell to ring at the end of the sit. Wanting. Oh, wow. When are they going to ring the bell? Wanting. Oh, not wanting to feel discomfort. There it is at the same time, that back and forth. And again, what am I curious about? The wanting. How does wanting feel? How does the not wanting feel? That, that dynamic that's happening between them. Oh, it feels like this in the body. I can feel myself bracing. I feel bracing in the body. Interesting. or around sleepiness. I found this so helpful in the sense of sometimes if there's not too much sleepiness, I can notice that there's a not wanting to feel the sensations or the, the experience of being awake. And what's so alluring is just to check out, that wanting to check out. And somehow this, how this arises for me is that I've opened up my eyes, I'm, I'm skillfully being with sleepiness, and then there's the thought, I'm doing pretty good, I think I'll close my eyes now. <laughs> but in the wanting to close my eyes, there's the, the wanting just to, just to check out. Oh, there it is, wanting to kind of to be sleepy and not to be aware. Not wanting to be awake.
And then self-compassion. When the hindrances are difficult, what I do is I'll say a phrase, something like, wow, I'm having a hard time right now. Or sometimes I boil it down to the word, ouch. This is tough. And if I can get that to arise in my mind, it makes such a difference. Because what comes with that for me is just a softening. Wow, this is tough. And I actually care about myself. May I be free from this difficulty. With the difficult hindrances, this is my gateway back into mindfulness. Not trying to immediately be mindful, but to first allow the heart to soften. Because when my heart softens, ah, there's mindfulness right there. Yes, you might want to keep these in mind as we begin to now... Uh, meditate together. Maybe beginning with something simple of simply feeling the body sitting. Allowing for a quality of relaxation in the body. And then if it fits for you, beginning to open to and receive whatever anchor that you're utilizing.
And if in this moment there is just that quality of being present, oh, to savor, oh, interesting, there are no hindrances present in me in this moment. Just being present. Savor that, make much of it. And if there's a hindrance right now, to notice it, to know it, As Jill said, if it's in the way, it is the way. An opportunity to begin to understand that that hindrance, that state of mind. So continuing like this, having this sensitivity, is there a hindrance presence right now? Or are the hindrances absent right now? And if it's challenging, possibly bringing in self-compassion.
So as we move ahead with uh, our retreat together, you might want to begin to have this sensitivity to the, the five hindrances. When are they present? You know, when are they absent? Using these different ways through mindfulness, through sati, through self-compassion or these other things that have been talked about. And one other thing that's been really helpful for me, just to uh, again re-emphasize this, is if I can have a yes to when I notice the hindrances, because it's such a powerful part of the practice is really getting to know the hindrances and how to navigate them. For example, if you were to spend your entire retreat, the six weeks or the three months, just navigating the hindrances, that would be a great retreat. I really mean it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a thing that's been so transformative in my life to learn how to navigate those, those hindrances. You know, Jill last night in her talk talked about the, the ethical dimension of this. You know, to be able to, to navigate these. They, they not only hinder, uh, uh, at least uh, in, in the suttas, not only hinder insight and samadhi, but also my ability to see the goodness in myself and the goodness in others. It's a great and wonderful gift to give to society, our ability to navigate the hindrances. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you lived in a community or a society that that was just part of one of somebody's civic duty is to know the hindrances, right? The civic duties. So make sure you vote, pick up trash on the sidewalk when you're walking around and get to know the hindrances and know how to skillfully navigate them. That would be such a different society, wouldn't it? What a huge gift. So I, I, I sincerely, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I sincerely mean that if you spend six weeks or three months just on the hindrances, that's transformative for the world that we live in. That's the problem, is minds are getting lost in the hindrances and harm happens. Yeah, adding that, you know, we've gone over exploring uh, some kind of anchor, broadening into sensations, kind of highlighting now the hindrances, and we'll, we'll continue to expand these meditation instructions as, as we, we move on. So, uh, one question here. I'm attempting to bring more nuance to the precepts. In the past, I have just taken them without thought. Uh, I'm getting stuck uh, stuck on two of them. I'm, probably, I'm just going to get to the very first part of the the first one. And uh, whoever's question this is, you might want to bring the second one to your practice meeting teacher. So the third precept, sometimes referred to as the, the kind of a, a, the brahmacharya vow, refers to celibacy. So the question is: Does this include masturbation? And it does. The, the third precept is about um, refraining from all sexual activity, you know, whether that be masturbation or any kind of you know, uh, sexual self-pleasure in, in, in that sense. And this is important. I want to say a little bit about this precept and, and broadening how to follow it, because it is 
so important, uh, this exploration, at least it is, has been for me on retreat. I've gained so much from it. And I want to point out that, yes, uh, sexual intimacy can be a beautiful expression of, of kindness and love and connection. So it's not about that. It really can be a, 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 a you know this this beautiful expression in that way. And yet, probably most of you, many of you, have you experienced a mind that's filled with that kind of desire and how it clouds the mind? Maybe some of you have thought of of how it's uh, in your past life before coming here, how maybe you've seen stupid decisions that your mind has made when it's clouded by that kind of energy. Yes, it can be uh, beautiful, and also it can create harm for ourselves and others. So important to have a different relationship to it. And I want to acknowledge, just in this room, you know, just there's such a huge range of how that energy courses through our system. You know, depending upon just who we are individually, depending upon maybe what stage of life we're in, depending upon the day or the hour, you know, where there can be a tremendous amount of sexual energy to none at all. And, and all of that is, is, is part of the, the normal human experience. And also how it manifests in terms of the wanting mind can be so different. Right? It can be that sense of just the wanting intimacy. You know, you're, you're here on retreat and you have that attraction to an, an, another person and you sit down in meditation and then all of a sudden you're having a fantasy about marrying them, thinking about the kids, a lawn in front of the house with a nice little flower garden. <laughs> you know, and, and, then, and then that can overlap with kind of just sexual fantasy and sexual energy as well. This is part of being a human being. How do you navigate that skillfully? So often what happens around this is we just don't talk about it. I haven't found that to be helpful in terms of being a human being that has these experiences. So it's just so important to start to to be able to navigate this without acting on it and to notice how it manifests and so how it manifests, it's also, there are some other kind of stipulations that can be so helpful around this is if you're experiencing kind of a, an attraction to another person, what's called a Vipassana romance, it's important not to act on it in other ways too. Like sometimes, I think this has probably happened on, in all these years that I've, uh, in these, these last few years of teaching the three-month retreat, this has happened on every retreat, I think, is that somebody starts to feel this and then, there's a wanting to sit, try to sit next to him, for example, in the dining hall to that person, or wanting to do your walking meditation next to them, or even to follow them around. So I want to be clear, that is so not cool. <laughs> and I want to be super clear about it, because it, it is, it's funny, but it happens every retreat. We say something and it happens. And harm has happened each time. When there's an acting on your impulse to see another body, to be around another body in a way. So please, 
or it can happen around, you know, th- this, this is much broader than just the Vipassana romance of leaving a note for another yogi. Again, so much harm has happened. Each, each, each year we say something and it happens. If you're concerned about another yogi, then to leave a note for the retreat manager. So it can at least be navigated in a different way. If there's like a serious, like you're feeling like a real concern, you know, this is beyond the, the Vipassana romance, just, just so that we're, we're, offer, we're making this offering of non-harming towards one another. And this is, can be so interesting when we have these bounds around, our, you know, especially around sexual energy, to notice how it manifests. Because what I notice about this mind, and I just want to point out, this is how society works, is, is that this kind of, when, when the mind is attracted to certain people, it renders some people visible and other people invisible. And this has huge impacts in terms of how society works. So societally attractive people, they get usually better jobs, they make more money, they get ahead so much more than people who are societally unattractive. That's how society works. And your mind, your mind is society. It's determining who should be visible and invisible. Who gets your attention? Who doesn't get your attention? And this has impacts for our world. And to begin to break through that, to begin to see the world differently, to break through societal perception around this. There's so many dimensions to this. I'm specifically talking about how it gets intertwined with sexual energy. But it happens around perceived age of a body. If a body looks young or old, perceived gender of a body, the shape of a body, the skin color of a body. You know, all of these, so many studies on how society works in terms of who gets favored or who doesn't get favored. Your mind is society. And when you have this chance to have this boundary around sexual energy, it allows us to be in the world in a different way. Not that we're saying that you have to be celibate for the rest of your lives, but to have a chance to see how the mind works, how it functions. So a couple announcements. Uh, one is, is uh, just around the question bowl. Thank you for your questions. We, re- we really are appreciating being able to get questions. Um, there will be this process of uh, leave your questions, and then we'll probably, as you notice, pick one or two, and then we're just going to leave. We're going to set aside the rest and then start anew for the next day, just so the questions can be fresh. So just so you know that that's going to be the case. We're not keeping the questions. So there's a lot of a lot of activity of impermanence around the questions. So just to be aware of your attachment to your questions. Also, it is a little bit easier for us if, you're, if your questions are a little bit more, uh, uh, a little shorter and, and more concise around practice that can help us in terms of, of answering them. 
and and also tomorrow um, tomorrow we will not be having practice meetings, and this rhythm will happen twice a week. There'll be two times a week. It will be on this week is is a, uh, unique, but most of the time will be on Wednesdays. There will be no practice meetings, and then uh, some teachers will offer practice meetings. Will will not offer practice meetings on Saturday, and some will not offer them on Sunday. So there'll be two days without practice meetings per week. And good idea. Um, because of a scheduling conflict, I had to make a little change in my uh, meeting list this morning, and it's going to affect Matt and Kyle. So can you please uh, check the board after the sit? I've had to switch. Your times. Thanks. Okay, thank you everyone, and, and may you gain much insight into the hindrances. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.